Well, it's so good to see you guys this morning. It's so good to see faces in real life and not behind screens. Uh, to the many of you that are on Zoom this morning, uh, sorry that you can't be here this morning as we kind of stagger our, our, our attendance to church, but um, I'm hoping that that's not going to be too long before we can keep increasing the numbers at the church. For, for everyone, thank you for your patience in just allowing us to do this. Uh, we need to do it well. We need to do it right. Um, but we have the opportunity this morning to, to come together face-to-face, well, at least some of us uh, come face-to-face, to be blessed in this time we call fellowship together. If you're here for the first time, uh, whether you're here actually physically at the church or whether you're watching uh, or you know, fellowshipping with us on Zoom, welcome again if you're here for the first time. I sincerely mean that. Sometimes it's a big step to step into a place that you've never been before, particularly people who are singing songs to God. You know, that's sometimes a very different thing for people. And, and so I really want to uh, welcome you this morning. And if you've got any questions, I'd love to answer those questions for you to come up and, and um, uh, come and ask. Come and ask. Love to meet you as well. So I want to share with you something from God's Word today, and I hope that encourages you. I hope it, help, it gives some insight to what we believe as Christians and, and who we are and what God is calling us to do. We believe in a God, as we sang in that last song, we believe in a God who is uh, saving lives. He's saving lives. He's not a God who's kind of hit and miss. He's not a God who kind of you know, tries it and thinks, oh, that didn't work, I'm going to try again, something different. Uh, he's a God who's saving lives, and he's still saving lives today. Um, and if I'm not, just, I'm not the only testimony to that, there's, there's so many people that you can testify to that God is still saving lives. How is he doing that? He's not just doing that by re- repairing their emotional and mental and, 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 and health in some ways, but, it, but more significantly, he's restoring the part of us that nobody can see, and that's the soul. He's restoring the soul. He, he, the Bible says he restores my soul. That's the part of us that goes deep within us, that really when it's broken and in need, God is there that reaches out and says, hey, I've got an answer for you. It's called Jesus Christ. It's called you. He, he's, he's a God that saves. He's a God that, and if we, if we are prepared to acknowledge where we are at before God, and if we are prepared to say, God, you know, I need you, then he is promising to come and save us. And hopefully that becomes a little bit more clearer as you hear um, some words, some words with, that I want to share this morning. So uh, let me start by praying for us. Let me start and let's pray for today. Let's pray that uh, the Word of God is, uh, becomes very real to you, that it's not just words on a page which people like to think you know, on people's shelves just collecting dust. That's far from the truth today. The Word of God is alive and living and it's sharper, the Bible says, than any two-edged sword. And it's able to discern the intents and the thoughts of the heart. And actually can tell you what you're thinking and what your motives are, um, even if you don't know them. It's able to re- reveal them to you. It's a, it's a powerful book. It's a living book. And so I pray this morning that blesses you. So let me pray for us. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you that we have an opportunity to come face to face and to listen to your word. I pray that our hearts are open to hear what you have to say. I pray that uh, your spirit would lead us and guide us in all things and that you would speak into our lives because you're God, you're our creator, and you know what's going on. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've got a Bible this morning, you can open up to an interesting book in the Bible called the Book of Acts. Some of you may be familiar with the Book of Acts. 
Uh, it's in the New Testament. Uh, it's at a time that sort of happens very soon after Jesus Christ was on this earth. Uh, and if you know anything about what happened with Jesus, he came to this earth uh, and he lived a life that was perfect. And in his life that was perfect, the people that were living at the time, some of the people living at the time, they weren't very impressed with his life. They weren't very impressed with the way he lived and what he taught because they, they felt it was going against the grain of who they were. And they got a bit jealous. And, of course, out of their jealousy, they thought the best way to deal with this, as they did back in the day, the best way we can deal with this is just get rid of him. And they did. <laughs> well, they thought they did anyway. They just thought, let's kill him. And they did. They killed him. They, killed, they crucified him on the cross. Unbeknown to them and much to their regrets and their disappointment and shock, he rose again on the third day. And until uh, and this day, he continues to do the work that he started on this earth and before that as well. The book of Acts is an interesting book because what it is, it's the time when the church, when Jesus left this earth and he left a great work to be done in the church. And, he's, and, he, and, and the book of Acts is a, is a, uh, a story, if you like, or, 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 or the, all the things that happened that the church needed to get right after Jesus left on this earth and so it can establish itself on this earth. So there were a lot of things going on. There were a lot of things, a lot of challenges going on, a lot of societal problems happening. There were a lot of pushback and people were trying to, to um, the church was, was preaching the truth and people were pushing back. So you had, a, you had a bunch of people that were saying, we're not interested in this. We don't want this. And this stuff that you're preaching, this stuff that you're teaching, this thing about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the dead, get away from me. We don't want this. And so that they were facing the same thing we were facing today. We are facing today. And then they had this few people that were saying, you know what, what you're saying makes sense to me. I need salvation for my soul. And so here they were having to respond to these very different groups of people, not unlike what we're facing today. Today you tell someone about the love of Jesus, how much he loves you and how much he died for you and how much he wants to save you and you'll have many people that will say not interested. Don't want to know about this. You know, I don't want religion. And I say, well done, that's great. I don't want religion either. I don't want religion either. I want Jesus. Or you have a bunch of people that say, oh, it's okay, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm fine. And, and, I, and I say, well, you know what, that's, that's good that you're good enough, but you're not good enough for what the Lord is asking, you know. And so we need to understand what God is calling us for, what God is bringing us to. And the Bible, the Bible when we read the Bible, when we read the stories of, of, of Jesus and what happened in, in the Bible, there is um, one verse that often Christians talk about, and you've probably heard it before. There is one verse that Christians speak about a lot, and it's a verse that's found in John 3.16, and it goes like this, that God so loved the world, this is love. I'm sure you know what love is. I'm sure you've felt love before. Or maybe someone's let you down with love. But God says, this is, this is my love. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. But they'll be guaranteed life forever. And there's an interesting word in that passage. It says, whoever believes in him. It doesn't say just the good people. The bad people, the helpless people, the hopeless people, the smart people, the intelligent people, the educated people. It doesn't say that. It says whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. But you say, oh, you know, but what I'm doing, I don't know if God can save me because I'm too far gone. I'm too complicated. My life is too messed up. My, my sin is too deep. 
My life is too far gone. And whoever believes in him doesn't perish but have everlasting life. Because we talk about a God as, God as someone who's mighty to save, someone who is strong to save. That God looks at our situation and says, oh, that thing you're talking about, <laughs> bring it to me. I'm mighty to save. Oh, you're worried about that thing? No, 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 come and bring it to me because I'll deal with it because I'm mighty to save. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And there was a song that was sung that was very popular in the Christian churches a while ago, and it was, it was sung, and it was, it was, it's a good song, and it, the song is called Mighty to Save. And I want to, I want to read some of the verses of, of what came out of that song, and it says that everyone needs compassion. Well, that's true. I don't know, I've never met anyone in my life who doesn't need compassion. Everyone needs compassion. And then it goes on to say, it talks about, uh, it, it asks this question, it's like a prayer to God. It says, take me as you find me, all my fears, all my failures, and fill my life again. That's beautiful. It's acknowledging that before God, God, I'm not a perfect person. In fact, I don't know if I can find a perfect person. I'm not a perfect person. There are fears in my life. There are failures in my life, and I bring them to you. Can you please take them all? Help me with them because with them they are oppressing me. They are taking my life and making it, shaping it to a person I don't want to be. And then it says this, Saviour, he can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. He's the author of salvation. He rose. He conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, you know what? If you come to me, I will make sure that the things in your life that you feel you cannot break free from, that you cannot separate from, and the things that are hurting you and hurting other people, the Bible calls it sin, is I will set you free because I'm mighty to save. I'm mighty to save. In the passage we're going to read, um, there is so much in this passage that I could talk about, but it'll, it'll take too long to do that. But I want to give you a very quick snapshot of what is happening in this chapter, and it's in the book of Acts chapter 10. And if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to chapter 10. And we're going to read little bits and pieces of this chapter, and we're not going to read all of it because we will, we will get through the chapter, but we're not going to read every verse because it'll just be way too long. But in this chapter here... Something uh, very, very significant is, is happening. God is going about through the work of his people and saving souls. He's saving souls. He's making himself known to people. People are listening to him and people are thinking, I want the Lord Jesus Christ as my, as my saviour. But there was a problem. You see, in the day of this, when this was written, uh, there was a very strong division of people, groups of people, cultures of people. They were called the Jewish people. Some of you would be familiar with this. They were called the Jewish people. And then there was kind of this group where they put them in every, every, everyone else into one group and they would call them the Gentiles. It's like a funny name for everyone else that wasn't Jewish. But the problem with this was that they were so divided that they wouldn't even mingle together. They wouldn't even, eat, let alone eat together. It was like, no way, you know, I'm this and you're that 
and I'm not going to come near you because you don't believe what I believe. The way you live is very bad and, I, and you're very different to me. You're very different and because you're so different to me, I don't want to even be in the same house as you. And it's like God said this, I'm going to fix this problem. This whole idea of people being different with one another, this whole idea of you're this and I'm this and you're that and I'm this, and I'm going to fix this problem. I want everyone to come to a place where they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they become one. But he had to do that very, in a very sensitive way because there was a time here where, where it wasn't going to be easy for the church and the rest of the world to understand. It's like a wise man who says, I'm going to open up my house to everyone who wants to come in and find refuge. And the interesting thing about this house, it's so amazing, this house, it never gets filled. In other words, the more people come in, the house just gets bigger. And the wise man says, you know, come, come into my house and you can come as often. Whoever wants to come, come. And yet still people walk past and think, I'm not interested. But everything you need is in this place. Everything that's going to, you need for life is in this place. And I'm not interested. I'll go and do life my own way. And so God is calling all these people to himself. And we're going to read a story about a man called Cornelius who um, was one of these Gentiles, if you like, and God is asking him and, and drawing him and his friends to a place of salvation. Let's read it together. Let's read some verses together. Chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion, like a soldier, of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms or like donations generously to people and prayed to God always. So we get a little bit of a picture of this man. And this man, Cornelius, he was a great guy. He was a fantastic guy. You know, he gave money. He was a good man. He was a faithful man. He was a, basically, people would look at him and think, oh, what, what a great citizen. Okay? And the Bible describes him like this. He, he prayed to God. He feared God. He did the things that God wanted him to do. But what we know about this man, that though he was so good, and people would look at him and think, oh, he is so good. You know, in the eyes of God, he was not good enough. It wasn't going to cut it with God. Because all the good in the world with God, all the good that you can conjure up yourself with God, is still, the Bible says, going to fall short of God's glory because God doesn't require your goodness. He requires your faith to say, I need salvation. Because I, what I've done is took, it takes me too far from ever being good with God. See, people live life like a balance. They say to themselves, if I can do enough good in my life, then, then, then they'll kind of, it'll, it'll sort of tip over the bad and God will be okay with that. No, that's not how it works. Because you imagine if that was the case, we would live our lives stressed and worried and thinking, have I done enough to please God? And God says, stop. I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be anxious. I want to tell you the truth. Everyone is not good enough. And that's why I sent Jesus into this world to forgive your sins. If only you would confess them and accept my son and in doing that, you become good enough. And so what was happening here, though he was a very good man, uh, in the eyes of God, he wasn't, he wasn't good enough. But something else was happening at the same time. There was a man called Peter. And Peter, interesting, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was in his own place feeling a bit hungry, and he had a vision, which was what happened in those days. He had a vision, and this vision kind of 
kind of freaked him out a little bit. It's like, what's, what's his vision about? And God was trying to do something to Peter here. God was trying to bring, bring Peter's heart to a place that he would be quite accepting of everyone and not dare say that these Gentiles weren't good enough for the kingdom of God. So Peter has this vision. And if you go down to verse 12, I want you to read verse 12 with me and have a look what it says. And in it there were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came to me and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken away into heaven again. This is a really interesting, interesting vision that God shows Peter. He shows him all these animals that in those days they weren't allowed to eat. And Peter says, and, and, the, and the vision says to him, I want you to kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I can't do that. I can't kill and eat. I've never eaten these things before. It's not right for me to eat these things. I'm a Jewish man. I can't do this. And God says, stop. What I call clean don't you dare call unclean. What I call clean, don't you dare call unclean. And what God was doing with Peter was this. There's going to be a whole bunch of people in this world, Peter, that you're not going to understand, that they're going to be different to you, uh, they're not going to be like you, they're not going to live life like you, and that's okay. Because once they come to know me and once they come to have faith in me, their life and your life is going to be the same. There's going to be no difference between you. I want to smash away this wall that was in between you guys for such a long time because in Christ we are one. We are one. And I don't know what it is with Peter, but <laughs> Peter had another three, three times that this thing happened to him, just like he, you know, he denied the Lord three times and just like he was asked three times by the Lord. But what God is doing here, he's saying to Peter, Peter, it doesn't matter. If someone's considered to be unclean, the question is, will they believe? Now listen, a long time ago, there was a prophet called Isaiah that said this, and he was doing the same thing because God was fulfilling his plan here, that anybody who is hungry, any soul that is hurting, anyone that is aching, anyone that feels far from God, today, he says, today is the day of salvation, that if you would receive, I will make you clean. I will restore all things. And many, many years before that, the prophet Isaiah said this. He said, Anyone that's, everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. You can have no money, but come, buy and eat. What's he even talking about? The prophet Isaiah is saying to everyone in this life, you know what? I know you're thirsty. Your soul is thirsty. Your soul is hungry. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it feels damaged. Maybe it feels hurt because sin has got in the way. And he's saying to everyone in this earth, if you're thirsty, come. I don't want your money. You can have no money. Come. The invitation is there for all of you. Come and buy and eat with your faith. My house is open for all. And I don't matter what you've done before. I don't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter how different you are. Come, because my house is big and it's available for everyone who believes. And the only thing that will stop you from coming into my place is your faith. And then he says this: 
Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Because why do you spend your money on what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? How many people do that today in this world? How many people go and live life uh, spending all that they can, doing all that they can, chasing as much as they can in order to think, I've got to experience life, I've got to enjoy life, and at the end of the day, they still feel empty. Do you feel like that? It's, it's, it's a truth. It's a biblical principle. It's God telling his people. It's God telling this world. You can chase, spend, buy, run after, seek after as many things as you want in this earth, but unless you find what you're looking for in Christ, you will remain empty. And that's why he says this, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Let your soul the light itself in abundance. And God is calling out to us this morning and he says, you know what, I know that you're seeking and searching in all the places that you hope will fulfill your soul. But unless it's found in Jesus, the emptiness will remain until you put your faith in him and let your soul be filled with the goodness of God. God doesn't look at us and think, it's all too hard for me. He says, now come and believe and let me fill your soul with abundance. So here we have Cornelius having to face Peter with a situation that they are very different, and God's saying, I'm going, to make, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. Look at verse 19. And when Peter thought about, when Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So what happens here is that Peter goes with these men and he goes back to the house of Cornelius. So this is where it all begins. Amazing. This is where it all starts. Peter's had a vision. Cornelius sends his men, two groups of people that traditionally never mingled together, now find themselves in the same house. What's God even doing? What's God even doing? bringing them into the same house. It's like facing their worst fears. Totally unexpected in the same place together. Let's see what happens. If you look at verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and his close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. Wow. I myself am also a man. Look at the humble servant's attitude of Peter. Did he say to him, is Cornelius man different to me? Worse than me? Yeah, kiss my hand, please. No. And while Peter himself had a sense of authority, he said to Cornelius straight away, get up. We're the same. I'm just a man like you. I'm no better. The only thing that makes me better is I have faith in Jesus. In the sense, better in the sense, makes me different is I have faith in Jesus. 
So I want you to get up, and I want you to understand something very important here, that from now on, what makes us different is not the issue anymore. It's our faith in Jesus, because love and truth breaks these things that once separated people. And love and truth, is it's how powerful love and truth is. Love and truth will bring together the things that once separated people, just like it did for Cornelius and Peter here, because once upon a time, they would never have stepped foot in the same house together. Now, Peter is able to, to look at Cornelius in the face and say, well, is eventually say, you're my brother. Cornelius is able to look at Peter in the face and say, you're my brother. Because now in Christ, God is working things in order to break apart the things that once set people apart. How do you respond to people who are different to you? How do you respond to people who might act differently to you? Have you ever met someone that um, acts like they're better than you? Have you ever met someone that thinks they're smarter than you, more important than you? Have you met people like that before? They've got a whole different perspective on life. And somehow they put you down or they make you feel like you're less significant because of who they are. And what God is saying, it's got to stop. It has to stop. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are one in Christ. In fact, the Bible says this. Let me read it to you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Therefore, the Bible says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? What I love about the kingdom of God is this. There is no room for being proud. There is no room for thinking of yourself to be better than someone. There is no room to be thinking less of someone else. There is no room for this kind of thing in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. Rather, all there is room for are people who are willing to put on Christ and have that servant attitude that says, I love you for who you are because of your faith in Christ and nothing else. And it blows out of the water any opportunity for us to love hypocritically. Ever met someone who loves hypocritically? Shakes your hand and says, oh, how are you going? How are you going? And then talks behind your back. Really nice to your face and then behind the scenes they're, they're saying all these things about you. That's not the way of God. The way of God isn't to love hypocritically. The way of God is to love in truth, to love in truth. Because in God, you can't separate love and truth. Did you know that? If you love, you love in truth. If you're living in truth, it's because you love. You can't separate the two. I love you in truth, and so you do the same for me. It's like trying to mingle things together. It's like two, two sides of a coin. You, you hear that, that, that picture of not being able to separate the two. You can't love without truth. And what Peter is showing here, what God is showing through Peter, is I'm going to call the people into the kingdom of God. These people, though they were before very different to you, they're going to be one because your faith is going to make you one. Verse 29. Therefore I came, this is Peter saying here, therefore I came without objection. 
as soon as I was as soon as I was sent for. And I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And he tells him the story of why he came. And I want to finish, I want to start to finish with this. Look at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Listen to what Peter's saying here. What I'm beginning to realize is something really important here. God doesn't show partiality. God doesn't show partiality. God doesn't say, I like you and I don't like you. God doesn't say, you're better and you're worse. God doesn't say, I prefer you and I don't prefer them. What God is saying is this. God doesn't show any partiality. But if all, whoever puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ come into the same kingdom and into the same family and experience the same power and the same truth and the same love. And it's not for us ever to judge people differently than that. You understand? Because pride causes us to judge people. Pride will say to us, hey, I'm better than you. You're not like me. I'm I'm better at this or I'm better at that. You're different to me. Pride does that. And this world worries about differences and discrimination and all those sorts of things, which is true because we live in a world that's quite fallen, in a world that doesn't understand these things. But I tell you the truth, that if only we look to the truths of Jesus they ought to be looked at, all these things will be smashed away. But people's pride gets in the way. People's egos get in the way. And they think to themselves that somehow they're good and they're better than other people, even better than God or too good for God. But if only we had a healthy perspective of ourselves, that we are fallen people, sinful people needing the mercy of God, that we're all in the same boat, we all need forgiveness, and when we all come, we become one in him. That's the family of God. That's the genuine family of God. Love always prevails. And when it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If I go hug a person and say, I love you, but in my heart I hate them, that doesn't make sense. It's like when someone gives you a cup of coffee and then they've forgotten to put sugar, they put salt instead. It's horrible. It's like, no, this, isn't, this is not right. This is not right. It's wrong. You can't love without truth. And he says to them, you know what, I'm beginning, Peter says, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing now that God is not a God of partiality, not a God of preferences, not a God of favoritism. Verse 35, but in every nation, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted of him or by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And I love what Peter says here because he's telling the world this. This is not about me, Peter's saying. This is not about my church. It's not about how good I am and what God's doing with me. He says this is all about Jesus because he is Lord of all. And you can like a person, but that doesn't make you a Christian. You can like a church, but it doesn't make you a Christian. You can like what you hear in the Bible, but it doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is if you choose to believe and to turn from your sin and to follow him in righteousness. That's what makes you a Christian. 
And the beautiful thing is that God shows no partiality. He doesn't say, oh, only some people can have this, but this is for everyone who chooses to believe that he is Lord of all. If you look at verse um, 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he who has ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, Whoever believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. Today, my brothers and sisters, today, my friends, because it's all about Jesus, and no matter how far we feel we are, how broken we feel we are, how damaged we feel we are, how too much work we feel we are, God promises one thing, that if we believe in him, there will be the forgiveness of sin. You see, what happened here with next was beautiful. The Bible tells us that the Gentiles who were traditionally kind of like a no-go zone were brought into the kingdom of God and were given the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that Peter had. And they were blown away. It's like, wow, God is really about receiving anyone who comes to him. God is genuinely, genuinely about bringing in anyone who receives him by faith. Now, when they, that, when they did this, and this is the last verse I want to read, when they did this, look what happened. Verse 47. Oh, sorry, verse 40. Uh, yeah, verse 47. When I received this Holy Spirit, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So listen to this. Right at the start, Peter would not have imagined that he was going to be having a meeting in the same house as these people. But God spoke to him and said, I want to teach you something here. I'm going to call clean those that you might have thought were unclean. He engineers a whole range of things to bring him into the same house. Peter shares the faith with them. They give their life to Jesus. They become part of the same kingdom. And after that, the Bible says, you know what? If he's my brother and he's my brother and she's my sister, what stops him from being baptised? And they allowed them to be baptised in the same faith. I don't know about you, what it says to me today is that the gift of God is available to all. That the only block that would stop us from receiving this wonderful gift is our pride that says we're too good for God or we don't need God or even our pride that says we're too hard for God. And whether you've uh, understood the Christian faith for many years or whether you've never heard about the Christian faith before, today God is calling out saying, do you want to be saved? Do you want to know the power of salvation? Do you want to know the gift of life and the gift of God? Because it's for all. It's not just for some special people, but it's for everyone. And to those who believe, the Bible says, God has called them to be baptised. Why would we even do this, as we saw here in the Bible? Why would we even do this? 
Because today the baptism isn't a law that now Christians have to follow. But listen, I believe baptism is more than a law. What it is, and it's an expression of your faith and your love. What I love about this story is God makes salvation for all because he is mighty to save. question is, will we choose to believe that he is mighty to save? Will we choose to believe that he can save my soul? I'm going to pray for us this morning. So let me pray for us. Let's pray together as a church. Uh, Let's ask ask the Lord to continue to bless this morning, to bless his word uh, to us and all that we heard and all that we experienced today. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord God, for your word this morning. It is a, a reminder to us that you're not a God who rejects anyone who comes to you, but you are willing and able to receive all who humble themselves, that stop chasing the the things of this world that try and satisfy us, but to put our faith and trust completely in the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you remind us of this and you continue to reveal yourself in your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name.